welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. I have the pleasure of working with many salon owners all over the world. As a result, I'm very fortunate to have inspiring and insightful conversations about the changes that are happening in the salon industry. And perhaps more importantly, how forward-thinking salon owners are evolving their business approach to accommodate the never-ending changes in the salon business today. Today's guest on the podcast is co-owner of the Hairloft Salons, a successful family business in Chicago that started in 1980 and continues to evolve with the times. In today's podcast, amongst many other things, we will discuss what some of the changes are that are impacting on the traditional salon business model, from employment models, the never-ending impact of new technologies, the increase of specialty salons, and how the big product brands are evolving and what that means for the salon business, and lots more. So without further ado, let's jump straight in and talk to our guest today, Ben Jay. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Hey, how are you? I'm good, and it's great to have you on the show today. I'm uh, really excited about uh, you know some of the stuff that we're going to talk about. So thank you for giving up your time to be here. Listen, I think before we jump in, uh, let's start off with an overview uh, of you and your background. Who is Ben Jay and the Hair Loft Salons? Give us a, a, a backstory sure. of, uh, of what you're all about. Well, uh, first, I'm excited because uh, I do love podcasts. And in terms of industry podcasts, this is amongst my favorite. So it's awesome to finally get to be on uh, what I enjoy listening to. But who I am is a second generation uh, hairstylist and salon owner. Um, I grew up, literally grew up in the salon with uh, my parents tracking my height as I grew on the wall behind the front desk. <laughs> um, and as I was growing up in the salon, I never really imagined that I would be interested in it as a career or as my path. But um, I eventually came around to it. Um, I went to college uh, for a year with the intention of going towards management and marketing. Um, never really completed those courses, but that has always been my interest. And so I feel like I approach everything in the salon with the marketing and management mindset first. Um, and that's just how I, I approach it, you know. Okay. So how many salons are there in total? Sure. Uh, we've grown to two two salons. Um, so uh, as you mentioned, my parents originally opened in 1980. Uh, and then in 2008, we moved that original location to a new new space, new neighborhood. Uh, and then in 2015, we opened a second location, which square footage wise, is not quite double, but nearly, nearly double what the other one is. Okay. And how, how many staff are there? Total across the two locations, we're at somewhere around 30. Okay, right. Okay, so reasonable-sized business. So, you know, you, you, you represent a, a, a lot of people out there, not just in the United States, but, you know, whether you're talking Canada, Australia, the UK, you know, Europe, wherever, um, you know, small business with, um, well, it's not that small. It's a reasonable-sized business. You've got two salons. You've got 30-odd staff, um, you know, significant, you know, financial uh, a turnover there. Um, what are some of the challenges that that you face today that is typical of what you see happening in the industry? Yeah, um, well, I think that there's always there's always change, right? Like it doesn't matter what era you're talking about, there has always been changes in the industry and just in the world in general. Uh, but it certainly seems like right now there's many different topics that seem to be touching on what the traditional salon model is and um, you know are are potentially uh, making salon owners feel anxious or like not really knowing how to respond because it is so different to uh, what they're used to. The areas that I see things sort of getting the most push in are the traditional employment model, uh, and when I say that, I mean uh, essentially a full service salon, men, women, multiple different services, uh, commission based perhaps. Other businesses and individuals choosing to go specialty and focus on a single purpose. 
and uh, you know our brands and manufacturers at times changing their business model uh, and feeling like they're not necessarily always working with the same salon intention that they were in the past. Yeah. So employment specialty and and what the brands are doing, I think, are all showing a lot of change and. That's what uh, I, I see on the forefront of a lot of owners' minds. Okay. So, you know, you've got, I mean, I know your business is a very successful business um, and it's been around 40 years. Um, let's talk about that first one, first of all, employment. Sure. Um, how are you seeing the, uh, well, well, what, for example, are the different employment models that are on the table today that perhaps weren't there 10 years ago? And how are you responding to them? Um, you know, in your salon business to, you know, for, for, for want of a better word to, you know, defend the traditional salon ownership business model? What, what are some of the things that you're doing uh, to make it work and to make it still attractive? Yeah. Um, now, I, I understand that it, it's a more US centric model to have people going, I call it freelance, just because it sounds a little nicer, but booth rental or suite, and it's, individuals that um, tend to set up their own little space. You know, it's sort of like their station, their chair, maybe a shampoo bowl in rooms of various sizes, but people shifting away from being in a full salon to having a salon in a room or just renting a booth in a space. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there, there are a lot of new businesses that have popped up where that is their model, uh, where they're a little bit more of a landlord. Um, it's not our model. It's just a different model. And it really pushes the individual to be there to essentially be self-employed. Uh, the technology that's available to people today has made that more possible. Old school, like, you know, 1980, when my parents opened their salon, if you were going to have a computer at all, extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to do any sort of credit card or banking, way harder to do as a business and, you know, just different regulations and things. Um, a lot of the tech uh, of today has made that a breeze. And in some places, you know, uh, here in the U.S. and California, the legislation has gone through where it's almost made it like that's the only business model if you're going to have a salon. Mm -hmm. It's become extremely difficult to have a traditional um, commission-based employee salon, from my understanding. Again, yeah. I'm not in California, so I can't speak firsthand, but... From what I read and from my friends, that's what I that's what I see. Yeah. So well, it's, it's interesting, you know. In uh, I mean, I think globally there is very definitely a um, a shift in lots of different industries towards there being, you know, independent contractors or self employed. You know, and it's for lots of different reasons. You've touched on what's driving it in some cases. Technology is certainly, you know, making it easier. Um, uh, whether it's called, you know, the gig economy, whether it's called freelance, whether it's called independent contractors, whether it's called salon studios, salon suites, whatever, it, it, it is all about that sort of, you know, shift in that direction. Um, and I, I know that in the US it is very uh, dominant, uh, but I also know that it's not dominant in every state. I know that some states, you know, it's it's, you know, literally the number one business model uh, by far and away. But I also know that in other states, it's not so prevalent. Uh, in Chicago, is it a, a dominant business model or is it something that's, you know, got a lot of momentum behind it? Um, it's growing. It's you know, growing. I think that I think that still the employee based setup is is dominant. But you see you see the salon suites popping up, uh, popping up in neighborhoods that you wouldn't expect them to, to be, yeah. um, you know, uh, which is interesting. And Again, it's just something to kind of keep an eye on if you have a salon of a different business model. So. Yeah. And, and in uh, Chicago, are those salon suites that are opening up, are they owned by hairdressers or are they, you know, external business people that see it as a, you know, a, uh, an, an opportunity to set up a, you know, a turnkey business? It's basically real estate yeah. that they then sublet, you know, units out to other individuals. I think it's more that. I think it's people seeing it as a business opportunity to uh, sublease or own something and lease it out. You know, a lot of them are more uh, chain based, yeah, uh, suite models. So, um, yeah, I, that's that's what I I see. Yeah. So, so when you see um, 
you know, that that's the evolving business model. And you've touched on the technology. You know, the, uh, you know, today everyone's got a smartphone in their pocket. So it, yeah. it's easy for people now um, to book appointments online, to do their banking online, and, and obviously when we talk about social media, to do all their marketing, et cetera, online. So, right. you know, whereas, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, um, it wasn't or it was possible for people to work independently, but it was just really difficult. All that right. technology is now making it so much easier for that business unit of one. Right. When you, when you combine that with uh, this generation, um, this, you know, generation Gen Z, you know, with their uh, approach to uh, lifestyle, et cetera, and that the balance that they want to have, it's sort of like the perfect storm, isn't it? That, that you've got a generation of people that want more flexibility. You've got the technology that enables them to do it. And you've got the business model that enables it to work. So it is very much like a perfect storm with those three things combined, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly did. I mean, um, from who I, I speak to, they're, they're chasing freedom. Yeah. Right. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't want to, uh, feel the sense of, you know, having your own destiny in your hands and being able to control your own outcome and all of that. And so that freedom, I think comes down to the perceived idea of financial freedom. You know, uh, if somebody leaves a commission model or the old school thought of get to keep all of it, if I just did it myself, mm. which all business owners know that that's not accurate at all. Um, uh, the freedom of time. You can work when you want, as late as you want, come in as early as you want, take whatever days off you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, creative freedom. Yeah. Um, you know, do the work that you want to do, um, use what you want to use. Uh, and so I, I feel like those, those three keys, financial time and creative freedom are really what are driving many people that choose to do that or pursue that. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. And, yeah. and as a salon owner, how do you combat that? Because if I was a young 25 year old, you know, those things, you know, um, uh, might very well ring my bell, so to speak, as being, yeah, I right. want that freedom. I want that financial control. I want the, the, the freedom of my time, et cetera. Um, as a, as a salon owner, you've obviously got young people working for you who are potentially attracted to that. What, what, can you do? What do you do? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you're going to lose some of them to it uh, or maybe have lost some of them to it. But, but how can you combat that? How can you look at the traditional commission-based model that you've got and go, okay, what can we learn from this and how can we um, you know, make this model more appealing to people as opposed to them thinking that the only way to get that freedom is to go out on their own? For sure. So I, um, I think across all these things, that is always the question is what can you do, right? What can you do or what can your business do in order to, um, as I said earlier, defend yourself, but what can you do to grow yourself? And the other question that I always bring up is, is it important? Does it really matter? Now with employment, it absolutely matters, right? We have to have a team if we're going to grow our salon. So in terms of of like the financial freedom, um, you can't change the math, right? 50%, 50-50, 50%, 50-50, whatever your commission scales are, um, that math will always be in place. But what you really need to focus on as the business owner is bringing value to what they feel they are giving up. So if, if your commission split is 50-50, the employee needs to feel as though they are getting 51% of the value back from what they're giving up. Okay. That's the way I think about it. You yeah. know, it's the same way that we talk about our salon guests. Um, if we're charging in our salon, our haircut start at $60. We need our clients to feel like they're getting a 70 or $75 value for their service dollar. Yep. Okay. Because then, then the client has value. They want to come back. They enjoyed their experience. I'm saying as the owner, you almost need to treat your employees like your customers. Mm-hmm. And so if they are getting 50-50, they really need to be feeling like they're getting 60% back uh, from their revenue share. Okay. So give me an example of what you mean by that. Okay. 
Because, um, because they're not getting 60%, they're getting 50, but they need to feel like that. So what does that mean? Sure. What does that look like? So the thing, things that go into making them feel like they're getting value out of value will, again, always be uh, determined by individuals, but um, a, a development program, education, right? Mm-hmm. How do we grow their skill set in order to be the best creative that they can be? Um, support staff. Are there assistants or protégés available for them to be able to double book uh, or power book their schedule so that they can be servicing multiple guests at a time? Front desk support so that they're not having to deal with uh, booking reservations or, you know, the unfortunate, unhappy guest. Uh, There's some separation between them. Uh, Somebody ordering stock and, and keeping the inventory up to date. Uh, doing some marketing in order to help grow their business. Then you can get into other offerings such as uh, you know insurance programs, retirement programs. And so there's a lot of way to bring to bring value to the team so that they go, oh, you know what? This is really a great place. Yeah, yeah. And that's still within a commission-based model you're talking about. That's not having people on a, a rented chair you know, for type sure. of model, yeah. or whatever. It's a commission-based model where for the, for the ease of maths, we're using a 50-50 split. Depending on the country you're in, that is more or less likely to be happening, you know. Um, yeah. uh, so, for example, our Australian listeners, none of them would be paying 50% commission. But the reason they don't pay 50% commission is they have to pay four weeks holiday pay from day one. You know, they have to right. pay, you know, 10 days sick leave from day one. They have to pay long service leave, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all those right. things are factored in, which is why their commission splits are much lower. Because sure. in reality, although you might say they're getting 30%, they're actually, you know, by the time you add all those bits and pieces in, it is in real terms turning into more like 50% of what they do each week. So, um, right. so yeah, just to just to clarify that point. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... So, 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 so what you're saying is that, you know, if I'm a young 25 year old and I'm thinking of going out on my own into a salon suite because I think I'm going to make more money is you're saying from the salon owner's point of view, if you're trying to keep people like that, you've got to make sure that you give them a experience of working in a commission salon, which makes them really question why they would ever want to give that up to go and work by themselves. And you're talking about a lot of those things were education, front desk people, uh, education and training, uh, support staff, assistance, all those sort of things are what are, so to speak, right. gilding the lily. Yeah. Right. And, and again, certainly it's stuff that they could all do if they were on their own. Yeah. But it's a lot easier, I think, when somebody's there to support you and help you out with it. Yeah. Without a doubt. You know, you know, with like a retirement program, can an individual set up a retirement program? Of course. Yeah. But it's a lot easier if the employee, and if the employer sets it up and handles the, the, the fees and puts it in place and set up through your paycheck, you know, yeah. and all your taxes are, are set up and everything's all straight and legal. Yeah. So aside from those examples that we just went through at the hair loft, are there any, you know, uh, things that you do that you think, wow, this is quite unique. This is quite, you know, special. It's, it's, it's something that really bonds people to the brand and, and not want to leave. You know, uh, it does start, I think with the hiring process is I don't, I don't hire based off of talent. I hire based off of people. Yeah. Uh, I think that with our development program, we can, we can train people's skill set and get them to be good stylists. But it's really, really hard to train people to be good people. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so when we're hiring, uh, it really, it really comes down to I want to do cool stuff with cool people, and I want to have fun when I come to work. And I think that that is such a, it sounds very lighthearted, but it is such an important baseline to getting the right people in the door. Yeah, um, and so starting there, but then we, you know, we do culture days where we'll just all go bowling. Um, you know, if people can't make it, they can't make it. We don't get upset about it, but we of course want everybody to come. Um, we do a lot of contests, fun little, you know, monthly contests to, you know, just have some fun with success and get together and make a game out of it. Yeah. Uh, So there's a lot of little things that can be done. Okay. With, when you were talking about the three things that people want freedom of, you know, financial time and, and, uh, creative, um, 
What do you do? How do you, because obviously if, I'm a, if I go and open up a suite or go and work by myself, I have complete uh, freedom or flexibility over my time. How have you managed to factor that into your business model to make it you know, possible to have some flexibility within that? Yeah, uh, we, we're, we just have a flexible schedule. Okay. Where, you know, like for the most part, um, we have a few people that are part-time. So maybe they're only doing uh, like 24 hours a week. Yeah. Um, some of those individuals are a little closer to retirement. A lot of our newer stylists and people about my age in the 30 to 35 age range, we're all five day a week, full-time employees. Yeah. But if, but if people need time off for a doctor's visit or they want to do a long weekend, go for it. Okay. Like, and, and what, what about opening hours? Like if I wanted to, you know, start at 7.30 and, and finish at 3, am I able to do that? Or if I wanted to start at midday and finish at 8, am I able to do that? Do you have anything like that within it? Yeah. For, I mean, for the most part, uh, we kind of have like two set starting times. Yeah. But again, if, you know, somebody wants to go to a concert that evening uh, or has it coming up and they schedule it, then they're good to go. Um, we're just flexible. Sure. You know, like... There are times that, that, so in, in my personal schedule, I've got two dogs, as you know, they've been on uh, some of our coaching calls in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, I personally have the flexibility that I can leave during the day, come home, give them a walk, give them their, their food, and then go back to the salon. Yeah. I like that flexibility. So I think it's unreasonable to expect that everybody else is going to follow course and has to be, you know, solid on this time and this schedule if I myself want the flexibility as well. Okay. And I think that sometimes it's that watching that expectation uh, that is really important, like, again, as a business owner. So um, we have, we offer two weeks of paid vacation from the salon. Again, one of those value incentives. So is that, um, is that from day one, they get two weeks of pay? Oh, they have to after be there their, after their after their first year. After their first year, and then right. they can start earning. Yeah, uh, two weeks of paid vacation. Um, but they basically have unlimited time off. Yeah, you know, and so uh, as long as they just let me know what the dates are going to be, I I approve all of them. Okay, and uh, you know, I'm sure that there are people listening. They're like, "Well, how's that going to work?" You know, they'll always be taking time off and. It, well, they st- they need money too, so yeah. they're not going to take every day off. Mm. Um, at our one location, we have uh, 14, 14 stylists right now. Everybody is scheduled on a Saturday, mm-hmm. but every Saturday, or just about every Saturday, I have one of those stylists out of the salon because there's fourteen people there. Like there's yeah. there's bound to be somebody that needs that Saturday off. That's fine. Because it just means that then I can continue to hire. And now I have a slot to put somebody in on a Saturday without having to build out another station or uh, do any sort of expansion like that. So uh, I think that, again, that expectation is really, really important. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, What what about the financial part of it? I mean, the thing that drives a lot of young people to, uh, or a lot of hairdressers today, to, to leave a commission salon and go, you know, suite rental, booth rental, independent contract, whatever we're going to call it, is this assumption that they're going to make more money. So, you know, and, and some of them do, but a lot of them don't. So, so what, yeah. is your, what is your take on that? Well, um, I, I think that the pendulum is going to swing back a little bit. Because uh, I do think that some people have left thinking oh, this is going to be amazing, uh, it'll be fantastic, and I think that some of them are starting to realize that actually operating your business is a lot harder than what it might be. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, you know, you have to be able to scale stylist services. You you've got to be able to get them get them making enough money so that they you know can live comfortably and and live the lifestyle that they are hoping to be able to live. Um, so you got to get them busier and you got to get them faster. And of course, yes, some of that is on the individual that they need to be self-promoting, but also like the salon needs to be providing a nice experience for the client to come back, some marketing, um, advertising, whatever, whatever needs to be done in order to also help grow the salon business. Responding yeah. to online reviews, whether they're good or bad, shows that people care and that's what you know as the owner i'm the one that does that Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, there are there are some people that being independent, uh, and I know people. I, I mean, I, uh, I I I'm in your camp in that I personally prefer the commission based business model. I I prefer building a team as a salon owner. As a hairdresser, I prefer being part of a team culture and that type mm-hmm. of environment. Um, uh, but not everyone's like me. I get that. I often use the analogy that I prefer team sports. You know, sure. I don't really like golf. I don't really like you know swimming or whatever because they are you know, like solo sports. I understand why people like them. But right. I look at business as a little bit like that. Some people are more into, you know, tennis or golf and other people are into, you know, football and basketball because they're more team orientated. And I think that businesses right. can be like that, that, you know, um, uh, a business can have a great team environment, a great team culture and all the things that go with that, all the training and the support, etc. But, you know, I also recognize that other people prefer solo sports. And within business, I see that there are some people who um, are in suites and they are perfect candidates for the suite model because, for you sure. know, of their lifestyle. Um, you know, they've got children. They don't want to start work until 10. They want to finish at three or, um, or they work as editorial hairdressers and magazines or they work as educators and they want to be able to dip in and out, you know, um, whenever they want without having to be answerable to everybody. So, you know, I, I can see why it does work for some people, but, then I see a lot of other people going in, into that, you know, type of business model and they completely underestimate, you know, what's involved in running the business, but they also underestimate, you know, how they're going to grow because, you know, like th- th- there is no real statistic on this, but it's a pretty good ballpark statistic to say that you're going to lose 20% of your clients a year. Now, mm-hmm. you're going to lose some of them because they've dropped dead. You're going to lose some of them because they didn't like the haircut. You're going to lose some of them because, you know, they've had a change of career and have had to move town. But you're going to lose 20% of your clients. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It can actually be quite healthy. But the reality is, is that for a lot of people, they'll leave a salon with a big clientele. They'll go and open up their salon suite. And they've got a suite in there with, you know, 20 other people. And they've completely underestimated the fact that they're still going to be losing clients, but how are they going to be growing? Now, some of them are fantastic and really good on social media, Instagram, et cetera. So they're still replacing those clients. But other people are really cast adrift, you know. So, right. you know, I find that some of them go a year or two years, whatever. They go, do you know what? This is not for me. I need to be part of a bigger team. I need someone to be, you know, feeding me business. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. Um, well, I, I actually like it because I, I think that it ties it ties into again, like what as a team, you know, what is the power of many? Like, what what can many people do that an individual can't? Yeah. Um, I think the salon can be cleaner if you have multiple people there because you don't have just one person working and cleaning. So the place can be really fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have somebody come and serve you a beverage. That's very different. You know, there's just a, a lot that goes into the guest experience that many people are able to do. Uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about it probably at some point later, but like putting on events. It's way easier for a team of people to plan an event versus one individual trying to plan an event in a little five by five or six by six room. Yeah. Because there's no space for it. And so, yeah. across all of this, again, like what can you do? Well, your advantage is you have multiple people. So, mm. let's get everybody engaged and get them going and, and see what we can do. Yeah. There was, there was one thought that I just had this week, and this ties back into the creative. I, I hired two new individuals in the, in the last week. One is a stylist uh, coming straight in, uh, not going through a training program because I feel like her skill set is really great. And one is fresh out of, uh, well, here in the U.S., we'd call it beauty school because we don't have apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, our salon has our in-house training program. Yeah. Okay. So so these two, two uh, young ladies are, are joining our team. And uh, one of them said that at her last salon, uh, when she would do balayage blonding, that they weren't allowed to use balayage boards. The owner said, no, can't use it. And so when she shadowed with us and she saw everybody using boards and painting and doing it differently than what she was used to, she was like blown away that she was allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And she you know, came over and said, is, is that that's okay that you use? Yeah, it's okay. 
you guys are the creatives. Like mm. you guys are the stylists. Use the tools that you want to use. So that's what you mean um, by creative freedom. Yeah, you know, it, it's at least an example. Yeah. And um, the other young lady, she was she shadowed with us, and she was watching me blow dry. And uh, she came over because I was I was holding the blow dryer, you know, just standard with the handle. And uh, she comes over. She goes, "Hey, I have a question. Um, do you do you care how I hold my blow dryer?" And I said, "I I don't. <laughs> I don't really care how you hold your blow dryer." She's like, oh, because I have a friend that worked. He just got a job at another salon and he used to hold it by the nozzle and they made him change the way that he holds the blow dryer. They said, you can't hold it like that here. And I just laughed and I was like, no, as long as you're doing good hair, that's all I care about. Yeah. And um, I just think that it goes back to expectations and like, what does it matter? Let the creatives use the tool that, that they need in order to do it. Let them have some individuality. Let them hold the blow dryer the way like none of that is uh is going to like change the way that they're working yeah you know? and and i think that sometimes we just lose sight of like what's the big picture and sometimes that micro stuff is so micro that it just it does not affect the macro of the big okay. picture yeah good example i mean and having said all that um you know i was scrolling through your instagram facebook etc and you still have a very clear look to your brand so yeah. do you know what I mean? That this is yep. the sort of work we stand for. This is who we are. This is our our beauty aesthetic. But yeah, when you get down to those, you know, micro things, um, sometimes it's it's uh, it's complete overkill, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so moving on, we said at the beginning that there were three areas where there's lots of changes. One of them was the employment thing. We talked about that a bit. Uh, another one you talked about was the specialty um, business model that there are. You know, a yeah. lot more, a lot more specialization. T talk to us about that. What do you mean by that? What does that look like? Sure. I, I think that there are um, salons that are coming in with a singular focus. Mm -hmm. So um, over the last few years, there's been a real reinvention of sort of the classic bar barbershop turning into a modern barbershop or a men's focus salon. So that would be one, one example. Um, Again, here in the U.S., I don't know if it's everywhere, but dry bars or blow dry bars, where their only service is uh, blow dry styles, yeah, or uh, maybe some treatments, but essentially styling services are their bread and butter, yeah. Um, and I know that I I listened to um, Skylar London on this particular podcast. Okay, and, yeah, right? yeah, and so like there's an example of somebody doing a color focused salon, uh, and so I think that you're just seeing people sort of break off these pieces of the service that traditional salons offer, mm -hmm. you know, and you go, Oh, well, it's only men's services. Oh, it's only styling services. But if you keep breaking pieces off, there's potentially not a lot of services left. And so you, you have to kind of know what you want to do with your service and how to appropriately respond with it. Okay. And so within your business model, have you done that at all? Like, do you have, you know, a blow dry bar component or a, you know, a barbershop component to the business or is it all, you know, a, a holistic business model? Um, we, we've, again, we've adapted. So our salon itself is, is full service. Um, you know, I think that inherently if a salon only does one thing, or a business that all only does one thing, it's thought of as like, they must be really good at it. Yeah. You know, if they only do blow dries, they must be really good at doing blow dries. Yeah. Um, so for us ha having multiple services, you, you've got to be able to sort of market it in a different way. Uh, so when the blow dry trend started, one of the things that we did to respond was we just introduced our own blow dry menu, mm -hmm. you know, if that was what some of these other places were doing and was putting out, you know, uh, a look of five, five looks on a menu, well, we can do that. One of the other things was we used to call it wash and style because we had a cut and style service and a wash and style service. Yeah. But the dialogue changed that people were calling them blowouts. Yeah. So when we were calling it wash and style, nobody, nobody really got that service. Okay. As soon as we changed the dialogue to blowout, Oh, you guys do blowouts? Oh my gosh, I would love to do a blowout. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. so the yeah, verbiage is really important. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, um, and so that that's some of the things that we've done. But you can always you can make how you implement things as big as you want. 
Uh, I've got a friend that works at a at a salon, and they they built out their own uh, blowout bar section in the salon, four or five chairs, where that's where they do their styling and finishing. Yeah, that's one way. That's one way to implement that kind of idea. Uh, in our salon, we have a room where we only do color in that room. So while we are a full service salon in that specific space. We're a color-only salon in that specific space, and so it changes the uh, the guests' experience while they're with us. Yeah, but you don't have specialist colorists, or do you? No, no. Um, we train everybody to work both cutting and color, but that is one way that people have adapted in the past was having departments, yeah, or departmentalized. You know, where you're either a cutter or a colorist. Yeah, uh, and that's a way that. The total business provides all the service, but the individuals doing it don't necessarily do all of the services. Yeah. We were talking earlier on, and um, Apple came up in the conversation. Yeah. Uh, what, what was it you were, you were talking about in the context of Apple? Well, I'm, I think that, I mean, Apple's just a really fascinating company and their whole story and everything. But, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day when they only made the Mac, um, and then they started to introduce the iPhone. Everybody was like, oh, they're going to make a phone. The computer guys can't make a phone. Yeah. And then, of course, they made a great phone. And now, you know, they're getting into uh, programming their original TV series. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, Apple's a computer company. They can't make television shows. And some are good, some are bad. But um, when you are that, that sole focus, I think, again, it's inherent that people think, oh, they only do one thing. They're good at it. So from like a marketing perspective for a salon that is going to do multiple things, you really have to build out your content, you know, your photos, your videos, whatever you're doing to market yourself to show that your ability to generalize or do multiple services, that in itself is your specialty. Yeah. You know, that the guest experience that they don't have to go to multiple salons to get all these services, they can all get them from you. And so your content needs to be reflective of that offering. Yeah, that's a very good observation. Okay. So, uh, and a lot of that comes down to, you know, not just, not just marketing, but also training to make sure you've got people yeah. that can deliver. Because there is an argument for if you specialize in something, whether it's blow dries or whether it's color or, you know, straightening or whatever, that there's a perception that because you specialize in it, you must be the best at it. Um, sure. So what you're saying is that, you know, if you're not going to specialize in it, um, and why should you? You're a full service salon, and that's what you you know want to stand for. Um, yeah. That you at very least need to make sure that a you're telling that story properly with your marketing, and that b you make sure that you got the people that can deliver to the quality that will match those other companies salons right. that are specializing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Okay. Definitely. Okay. You know, good. All right. Well, um, what, what, what about uh, we, we touched a little bit or you touched a little bit on the brand side of things um, mm -hmm. and how, you know, like with everything, um, you know, change is a constant. And it's not just, you know, our salons that are changing and employment models that are changing and technology is changing. Obviously, the manufacturers, the big brands out there, they also have to change and, you know, respond to changing times, changing consumer demands, changing technology, et cetera. Um, so talk to us about that because you said that was your, your third big, you know, um, thing that you wanted to focus on, employment, speciality, and, and now the brand thing. Talk to us about what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, I mean, brands are, sh are shifting. Um, I, I, I haven't seen a major company really pull their product from salons and say, we're going totally consumer, but you certainly see brands opening up the consumer door and making it more accessible straight to the consumer. Without a doubt. You know, I think that, I think that as, as the, the salons and the stylists, we, we have been able to see brands shifting away and sort of trying to cut out the middle. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to cut out the middleman. And you see that in, in not just our industry, but many industries. You know, I'm thinking of all the mattress companies that advertise on so many different podcasts and you just order your mattress from online. Yeah. Cut out and cutting out all, all the middle. Um, and so I think that 
perhaps we thought that distributors really represented the middle of the industry, that salons would have a more direct relationship with just the manufacturer. But I think that the manufacturers in some cases are jumping through distributors, through salons and trying to market directly to the consumer, um, which is okay. Cause that it can be actually a little helpful to salon depending on what you're doing. But um, you see brands doing uh, more partnerships with big, I, I would say big box stores. Um, you know, we've got a company in the U S called Ulta, which is maybe more value position Sephora. I think Sephora is a more international brand that people might, be familiar with um but also doing like strategic partnerships you know one of the one of the brands that we carry in our salon uh is an italian brand and they have made a strategic partnership with um it's actually like a, an italian uh, it's called Italy, but it's it's oh, like yeah. an italian grocery yeah. dining experience culture experience but because they are a professional Italian brand and this is an, an Italian experience, they see that as a good melting pot of partnership. Mm -hmm. I see it, you know, um, but that is, that is a model that, you know, 10 years ago probably wasn't there. Yeah. You know, people were sticking the product and making sure that it stayed in the salon. Mm. Um, and certainly Amazon, I know that in the U S this is again, another U S centric thing, but, there's no way that Amazon's going to keep it in only the U S but many professional brands are working directly with Amazon so that they can lock their price. Um, and sometimes there's, there's some sort of revenue share back to the salon or some sort of incentive program. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that the e-commerce side of all of this is going to go away or not eventually affect everybody or mm. every continent. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. No, I, I agree. I mean, often the, those uh, technology changes often do start in the US, first of all, and, you know, or, or big, uh, what are we talking about? Sort of the ways of doing business, the business models that change often do come out of there. And um, I always look at them and go, okay, that is only a matter of time before that's going to be happening globally, or it's going to happen globally, but often in a different way. Some things are totally yeah. transferable. Like you can take a Starbucks, right. you know, in the US, you can put Starbucks in London or, you know, Sydney or Moscow or anywhere, and it's a Starbucks. Um, other things, so for example, the salon suite model, that definitely is being adapted to different countries in a lot of ways, purely because of the real estate. If you think of Europe, it's much older. You simply don't have the sort of, you know, real estate available to have these big uh, salon suite models. But there is still, you know, variations on a theme of that sort of thing happening. Uh, but I agree with you. Um, you know, professional product being sold through Amazon is quite a big thing in the US now, and it's going to grow. Uh, there's another company there which also got a lot of momentum behind it, which is saloninteractive.com, um, mm -hmm. which, and I think there's a third one, which is a L'Oreal owned one. Now, I might be wrong with that. I think it's called hair.com. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, does again, it's a very similar thing. It's what you said. It takes out the middleman in a lot of cases. It's consumer right. straight to product. Um, so the middleman in our case is the hairdressing salon in a lot of ways, which you know, obviously from some salon owner's point of view, it then starts impacting on their total sales because, um, you know, they're not selling it. It's going through someone else. Um, right. As you said, some manufacturers, like everyone knows, I do a lot of work through Paul Mitchell and I know Paul Mitchell do a kickback to um, uh, salons on um, any product that people buy online through them, uh, right. th through, through Amazon. But then not everybody does do that. Um, and they price match. So they make sure that Amazon don't sell the product any cheaper than what the recommended retail price is. Um, but, you know, that's, that's just one brand. As a salon owner that stocks uh, multiple brands um, or has stocked multiple brands, what are some of the things that you do to protect that side of your business? Because I know that uh, retail is an important part of your business model. Yeah. Uh, again, like needing to come up with solutions if we're going to address the challenges. And, uh, you know, we had to adapt. Uh, in the past, we we were a single line, single focus type of thing. Uh, but I think that there is a real value to the customer in a curated approach to retail. 
that then it really makes the the recommendation much stronger when we have four or five different lines we try to not overlap our products too much but when i can hand somebody and say this is our favorite sea salt spray yeah this is our favorite hairspray mm-hmm. um I think that the recommendation feels stronger because we're not just towing a company line and we're not, you know, yeah. every month, here's a new product, here's a new introduction, here's a new thing um, that we stick to the things that we really, really like. Okay. So so what percentage, if I can just ask some numbers, uh, what percentage of your total sales, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, is coming yeah. from, from retail? Um, it's around 11%. Right. You know, okay. So and I've certainly that, heard places that have twenty or thirty percent. Yeah. Um, I think it's slightly above the the industry average in, yeah. in the U.S. So yeah, definitely. But it, it's a comfortable number. Sure. And is that more or less than what it was five years ago, ten years ago? It's I'm a little to, more. It's a little more. So I'm trying it's to gauge more. the sort of impact now, on yeah. you know, what has technology done to your retail. Has it is it taking the retail dollar out of the salon or not? And basically, you're saying it's not. But I'm sure that that's not because you're sat on your laurels just you know hoping that retail right. survives you're doing stuff yeah we we also shifted into uh a higher price point for the brands okay. that we that we carry so yeah. um i know that um you know some of our categories have shifted mm-hmm. like I, I we sell less shampoo and conditioners yeah. today but their price point sort of makes up for them and then our higher price styling products have really helped grow. Right. Okay. Um, another thing that, that I was wondering if you were going to touch on was your website, because, mm-hmm. you know, we just touched on what Amazon are doing and uh, uh, what Salon Interactive are doing, you know, where they've become the middleman. So the client can go straight to them and order the product and it's going to be delivered the next day on your website. I know that you do something similar to that. Just um, tell us about that. Yeah. So um, we have a little web store on on the website. And so if our clients need it, they can just order it from us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that they feel the advantage is, you know, wanting to support your your local business and your salons. And I think they can feel good about that. Yeah. We also tie it into our rewards program. Uh, and so if the pricing is matched through uh, whatever is available on Amazon versus what we have in our store, uh, why wouldn't you want to get your rewards? Yeah, and we'll we'll get it delivered to people. You know, okay. Uh, so we can do standard ground shipping just through the post uh, postal service, or something that we just started to implement at the beginning of this year is using Postmates, which uh, I, again I don't know if Postmates is international or not, no, but it's it's like a courier service. Yeah, okay. You know, so as as the business, we can start an order. Somebody will come and pick it up and just drive it over. Um, you know, it's like $10, $15 for the delivery. But uh, in that case, the guests will pay for that delivery fee. Yep. Okay. Do you do free so, delivery if they spend over a certain amount? Yeah, we do. Um, I think it's $65. We do right. free delivery. So. Right. Okay. And is that becoming a significant part of your retail business, selling through your web store? We're hoping to make it significant this year. Right. So for the most part, it's just kind of been floating. Um and in the past, we've tied take-home sales to our to our stylist career path. Yeah. And this year, I'm shifting a little bit, and really, I want them to focus on their service and their creative. Yeah. And so, um, I think that the business feels a little bit more empowered to be able to promote those online sales and not feel like we're taking anything away from the team or making it harder for them to grow in their career. Okay. Okay. Do you do you pay commission for the stylus on retail sales? We do. Well, you yeah, do? it's about ten percent. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Um, I, I noticed also. Uh, I mean, your website is thehairloft.com. Yeah. The Hairloft Ltd. The Hairloft Ltd. Right. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I recommend people go and have a look at it because I think it's a great website. Um, I, and I liked the retail component, the way you've put that together and the way you've done it. Um, and what was I going to say about it? Uh, oh yeah, that was the thing I noticed that you also have some stuff on there that is, you know, going in the direction, a little bit of homewares, but you've done it really nicely. Now I say a little bit, meaning that you've got some candles, uh, et cetera, right. uh, and some gift packs. 
How is that side of things working? Because again, it's looking outside what we've traditionally done and going, listen, guys, if you want to hang on to your retail business, you've got to do something different to what you've done over the last 30 years. And you've got to start looking at how, how can we compete with who's taking our retail dollar? So talk to us about that. Yeah, that, uh, that is a, a passion of mine. I love creating. And with the heritage of our salon being, you know, born of small business and trying to grow, we saw it as a great opportunity to be able to support other local small businesses and local creators and trying to connect them to our clientele. Um, and so, yeah, we, we've found local candle makers, uh, local ceramics, uh, little scent diffusers, uh, soaps. So it's, it's all things that I feel like tie into our, our overall brand. Yeah. Um, especially with the local feel of everything yeah. being handmade and made in Chicago. Oh, I like um, that. Yeah. It certainly is not our leading category. Um, there is, I think, a bit of a disconnect of thinking you're going to come to the salon and then you're going to leave with a candle. Yeah. But it's really nice impulse buy items. Yeah. Or um, we have some greeting cards that are that are a great addition to gift card sales. Mm, mm. And so um, we like it. It's a passion project. Yeah. No, hey, look, I think you do it well because, I mean, I go into a lot of salons and they're selling all sorts of junk, basically. And I think, you know what? Right. This detracts from who you are and what you're doing. There's no brand ethos about it. But I think the yeah. way that you have curated the sort of products that you've got on there, I think it's a really good fit. So I'd be very interested to see how, how that evolves from a, a commercial perspective. And I also think I love that local story because people love local and I think mm -hmm. that uh, they're going to love it even more um, as you know, there's so much pressure on us. I mean, it's all of a sudden just been ramped up tenfold. And I think it's going to be even more so with, you know, everyone's carbon footprint and the environment and all this sort of stuff that, you know, I think that people are becoming so aware of it that, hey, we need to do something about this. So I think that people will start thinking and looking and shopping um, more local because it sort of feels the right thing to do. It feels right. better to be buying something that was manufactured down the road as opposed to importing it from, you know, the other side of the planet or whatever. So, right. um, yeah. yeah well, there's, a, there's a little sense of pride too when you feel like, oh, this was made in my, in my city. We, yeah. You know, like you almost feel like you're a part of it in some ways. Yeah, exactly. It's part of that story. And people want something you know, that is unique and bespoke and, you know, something that they're not going to see in everyone else's house. So, okay. Um, wh what else would you say about the whole, um, you know, retail side of things when we talk about the challenges that brands are under and how they therefore have to evolve their business and how that impacts on us? Uh, what else have you got in that area before we move on to some other things about your team, et cetera? Well, I, you know, I, I think that, um, the question that I, I said earlier about what can you do, but also is it important, is is important to keep in mind here. Because mm -hmm. um, we're talking about setting up a web store. And of course, there's going to be logistics. You've got to keep your inventories in, in stock. You've got, to, uh, you've got to build out your website. And so for us, you know, we're doing multiple thousands of dollars of retail each month. It's a, it's a good portion of our business. Yeah. If, if I had a salon, that was only doing a couple hundred dollars worth of retail, I don't know that, that it's worth it. I was trying to go out and build an entire web store and you know do your deliveries. And if something breaks in delivery, you got to handle that. Sure. Um, that was a case that we just had this past week where somebody had a broken shampoo bottle. So then I had to send out you know a replacement for it. Yeah. And so, so I think that whenever you're doing any of the things that we've talked about is, is understanding like, is it important? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Can you make it big enough that it's really going to sure. matter to you and not just be a headache? And, and I um, think that's a question. A lot of small salons are asking themselves about retail. For sure. Mm. Yeah. You know, like if retail is only two to 5% of your business, like I would question, can you not just raise your prices enough and like focus on, on your service side? Um, at the same time, like we were talking about like adding those boutique items, are there other ways that you can add other revenue streams within the salon that might be more fun or interesting or just a change of pace, a different experience for your clients? Mm, okay. Um, of course, this, the other way this, to look at it is if your retail sales are only 2 or 5%, 
hang on, you've got an issue here. Is it a marketing well, yeah. issue? Is it a training issue? Is it a right. product knowledge issue? Is it the wrong product mix for your target market, et cetera? Right, right. You know, one of the, one of the things that we just did uh, in the past month was, well, it took, it took nine months worth of work here in Chicago, but we got our, our alcohol and liquor license. Okay. So, uh, you know, we were able to build in a new experience where now we're able to sell alcohol in the salon and we've got wine offerings and beers, all local beers, some, uh, you know, the spiked seltzers that have been very popular here. So uh, that's a whole new, a whole new experience for our clients and it's a whole new rev revenue stream for the business. Okay. Um, so you sell yeah. it, you, you, you're, you have to be correct. licensed in order to charge for it. If you're not licensed, you have to give it away. Is that correct? Well, in Chicago, you have to be licensed regardless of if you're giving it away or not. Right. Okay. Uh, the city, the city's stance is that even if you're giving it away, you're still charging for it through your service price. It's not okay. like you're just handing it out to anybody that's just walking down the street. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it certainly was an investment in order to get all the licensing and everything like that. But I think that um, in the long run, it'll prove to be fabulous and be a great addition to the salon experience. Yeah. Yeah. Is it um, like part of a menu? Like how do you promote yep. it that you've got that? Is it a, is it a written menu yeah. that's there for people? Or? We have uh, printed menus that we can hand out to people that are on like little mini clipboards. Um, and then we also redid the wall behind the front desk. So it looks a little bit more like, uh, you know, a drink menu if you were at a Starbucks or uh, a restaurant that had had the drinks available up on the wall. So there's yeah. a beer section, wine section, cocktail, ciders. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and coffee and tea, et cetera, is still free included yep. or that, that is? Yeah. So there's, oh, they there's still complimentary yeah. tea, coffee, still water. Um, some of our sodas. Our sodas are kind of in a mix. We're trying to decide if we should charge for them or not because sure. I've noticed a lot of people take them, take a couple of sips out of them, and then we have you know eighty percent of a soda sitting there, and it just ends up going in in the trash. Right. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, okay. again, like new experience, new revenue. Yeah, we 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 touched a little bit before on your website, and I know you also um, have an app that you use in the salon. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk to us about that as to who it's for, exactly what it does and what benefits you found out of having it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, technology, again, we mentioned it way earlier, but you have to have technology in the business, especially if you're going to be, you know, trying to compete in a modern way. And so um, through our uh, salon software, we, we uh, have an app available to the team so that they are able to check their schedules if they're out or somebody messages them on Instagram, they can book an appointment if they want to. Uh, they can see some of their numbers and get uh, a look into their goals and things like where they're at and see uh, status check-ins, stuff like that. Um, so it's been really valuable. And I think that, that the team enjoys having that ability to see that stuff for themselves. Right. Okay. So it's, a, it's an in-house uh, team app as opposed to one that clients use. Correct. The clients can book their appointments through our website. Yeah. But we don't have like a Hairlock branded app yet that right. they are installing. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we need to uh, be thinking about wrapping up here. And I've got a whole list of things I didn't even ask you. So, because um, I know you've got a great team culture, et cetera, there. And uh, that was something that I wanted to dig into. So we might have to leave that for another call and get you back on another time. Uh, have, you, have you got any, any uh, final words, anything you'd like to, uh, to wrap up with? I would wrap up with something that my dad always said that he, he I think he got it from the Marines when he was there. but um, if you take care of your people, your people will take care of you. Okay, good. Good sound advice. Dad's a pretty good like that. Yep. <laughs> um, wh and wh whereabouts can people connect with you um, online, Ben? I'll put your, uh, your website address uh, and your um, uh, social media handles in the show notes on the website of the uh, podcast. But um, yep. wh wh just, you could just tell everyone what they are at the moment. So the salon website is thehairloftltd.com and you can find the salon on Instagram at, at thehairloftltd. And then my personal Instagram is at bnjmnjy, which is Benjamin J minus all the vowels.
Right. Okay. All right. So if you're listening to this podcast with Ben Jay from The Hairloft and have enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and please share it to your Instagram stories. So to wrap up, Ben, it's been fantastic having this opportunity to share some of your wisdom and your experience with our listeners today. Um, and I want to thank you very much for being a guest on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to doing it again sometime soon. Great. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success. 